This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we're paying the pink tax. You may or may not have heard of the pink tax. It's a known phenomenon wherein women pay more for the same product as men. And these products are wide-ranging and persistent. They include things like deodorant and laxatives, as well as things like financial savings instruments and clothes. The idea is pretty simple. People will pay more for things that are marketed for women. For example, a simple black calculator may be $6.99, while a pink calculator of the same model may be $9.99. That's a real-life example. While the private market knows it can charge women more for things, there are also examples of service industries such as mechanics and dry cleaners taking advantage of women. And now, worst of all, it appears that the federal government has had its hand in the honeypot as well. But what can women do about this? What can men do about this? How did society allow something like this to happen in the first place? Welcome to episode 88 of Game Theory, our podcast about competition strategy and decision making. We are in the throes of autumn now, finally, for the love the throes of, of autumn. The throes of autumn. That, that right. makes it sound so so sinister. I like autumn is we're, we're in the we're in the loving, cozy embrace of autumn. I think both of those things can be true. I like the darkness. I like the idea of haunted things in New England, that kind of autumn. Give me some uh, Sleepy Hollow. Have you been to New England? Yeah, it's okay. That sounds about right. I've never been. I don't really. I don't really plan to go. Sure. I guess so. Yeah, I, the, I don't know, player the, three. If the, you're out there in New England, I'm just. I'm maybe I'll see you. Maybe I won't. Probably not. So this is how New England works. Uh, Boston is there. It's low key, kind of the most racist city in the U.S. No disrespect to our Boston people. That's just what people say. Um, New Hampshire is like the Alabama of the North, and there's some old stuff. That, but it's also very beautiful. The mountains of New Hampshire and Vermont are beautiful. But yeah, it's hiding a lot of secrets. A lot of really cool true crime, uh, unsolved murders, and things up there. So yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's an old part of the United States of America, and people have been there a long. Long, long time, which is nice and creepy for for this time of year, which I don't mind. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, cre- it creates a good ambiance. Halloween's coming up in, mm-hmm. I don't know, eight weeks or so. So naturally, people are already freaking out. I'm trying to come up with a couple's costume idea. Mm. I have one. Yeah. I'm thinking I'll dress up as a Roman. <laughs> She'll dress up as a goth. Uh, and we can reenact history. Yeah. The, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Oh, every day. I don't know about every day. For every me, day, but I'm, I'm definitely a I'm much more times of a. Re- a week. Well, I I like to think more about the Republic. Sure, because you because yeah. you know I mean politically that was a little bit more interesting to me. But I mean you can't you can't think about one without mentioning the other. It's like and we don't really have to get America. into this trend. You know, people should know the trend by now. It was out of control. Out of control. It's not a trend. It's a lifestyle. I'll it have is. You know. And uh, the response for women is, what do women think about constantly? We have it here. We don't make TikToks in this house. But no. my wife and I, as a team, kind of talked it out and figured out that the response is just the Windsor family in general. The Windsor family? Mm-hmm. See, I thought it was just the Victorian era. No, the Windsors. Like, the, the royal family, Princess Die. Princess Die is, like, the number one event, I think. But, like, the royal family, the history, of the, like, the Windsors. Yeah. By the way, speaking of stuff in the 90s, I have to do some on-show education for you. Okay. Player 3, as you know, Nick produces a solo podcast called Interesting to See, about news, narratives, takes, and gambling in sports. Really interesting podcast, really good stuff. Nick, today, I watched your episode before we started recording this. Oh, you're the view. That's nice. I'm the view. You're welcome. (laughs) And you had an interesting clip on there about rugby today. Which I thought was really neat. There's World Cup rugby going on. You showed the aftermath of Ireland versus South Africa. Very cool moment. The crowd singing cranberries. You described it as somebody's walk-up song slash an annoying song that gets played on the radio that people start singing after a while. Correct. I need to tell you something. Yeah. 
I need you to understand yep. that that song is about the troubles in Ireland in the 1990s. Oh, I didn't know that. Reading from a BBC article titled The Tragedy That Inspired Zombie, the Cranberry's Biggest Hit, Whoa. quote, Zombie was a visceral response to the death of two children in an IRA bombing mm. in the Cheshire town of Warrington. Three-year-old Jonathan Ball was killed when two bombs hidden in litter bins detonated on a busy shopping street in March 1993. So to, to say that that's a walk-up song and an annoying song that's played on the radio, I can only apologize to your Irish listeners, <laughs> so Sorry, which the- is to say... There is a Korean MMA fighter that uses it as his walk-up song, and he recently retired, and like that's where that came from. Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's a Korean man. Um, I read that in the title of the YouTube videos, but yeah. That is curious. I'm just saying, it makes sense that the Irish would play that as their... For sure. I would not know that. Yeah, I would not know that. But yeah, that makes... That makes quite a bit more sense. I appreciate the fact check on that, Chris. It's um, it's well, so, it's so charming of you. We try to hold each other accountable here on this team. So you know, let's get to into create the a culture episode. in the locker room. <laughs> the, the we're doing we're talking about the pink text today, and if you don't know what the pink text is, we'll talk about it. It is a very Googleable subject, and a lot of people have spoken a lot about it. I have lived the pink text, obviously cohabitating with a woman. We were charging my electric vehicle where they put these chargers in really convenient places like Walmart parking lots. So like, what are you going to do? Go into Walmart and look around. It had been, it was the first time I went into a Walmart in multiple years, maybe five years. And I went in there like, oh my God, the things in here are so cheap and they're not that, they're not that bad. So we bought some clothes. I bought four clothing items and she bought four clothing items and I spent 50 to 60% less money. And it was, it blew my mind. I was like, this, how, how did you, I spend $59 and you spent a hundred and something dollars. We have, we each bought four things. And she's like, oh yeah, this is the pink tax. And I looked at it like the amount of things that you bought just because I'm a bigger person than you, they're significantly more material and uh, they're much larger, but I spent more, less money than you. This makes no sense. And of course I'd heard about the pink tax before. It was the first time I ever lived it. It was pretty crazy. It's it's incredible. The pink tax is so. I'm I'm going to quote directly from Wikipedia here, and we have some sure. other stuff too that 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 discusses exactly what it is. But if you've never heard of this, I'd be very surprised because this is a well studied phenomenon. The pink tax refers to the tendency for products marketed specifically toward women to be more expensive than those marketed toward men. Yeah, this is attributed to gender based price discrimination. However, according to Wikipedia, again. Research shows that the primary cause is women sorting into goods with higher marginal costs. So we're, we're already catching strays here from the sure. people who wrote the Wikipedia article. But the basic point is that stuff that is marketed based on gender identity and gender stereotypes tends to be more expensive when it's the girl's version or the women's version of whatever that, that same product is. And you talk about living this and experiencing this for the first time. I do think there are a lot of guys out there who are just not familiar with this. And they just think like, they think it's like uh, Kevin in the office. Yeah. Women be shopping. Women be shopping. And like, no, like this, this stuff is just more expensive. And, and actually yeah, I, I was talking to our number one power listener, Allie, Dr. Mm-hmm. Allie yeah, about Dr. this. And she said, yes, this is a great list of, of topics here. Uh, I have so much to talk to you about this. Razor prices are an yeah. example. You can buy the same razor with pink coloring on it, and it costs more money. Body right. wash, same ingredients, similar fragrances, a lot more money. T-shirts, always lower quality and more expensive in the same brand. And then and then, Dr. Alley sent me links for women's T-shirts and tees from Target and men's T-shirts and tees from Target. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, the women's tees cost more money. But wait, there's more. It's not just Target. She sent the same link for Abercrombie. And there are more options available for women, almost all of which are more expensive than the men's equivalent T-shirts of that same crappy quality. So it's a real thing. And it's not just because the marginal costs are higher for the goods right. that women are buying. Yep. It's because they're quite literally marketed in a way that makes them, they're supposed to be more appealing to women. And as a result of that marketing, the products themselves actually cost more money. Yeah, and the cost is, is a similar like price setting situation where it seems very obviously that 
and we, when we say marginal, what we mean is like the company making a profit, like what is their percentage that they're actually earning compared to what it costs to make and market and produce. These margins are significantly bigger than men's clothing for a number of reasons, but most of which they're just driving up the price because they can, because women will pay it, which gets us into the collective game theory situation here, right? Because if women all agreed not to do that, then it could theoretically drive down the price. However, it only takes a small portion of the population to, to, to participate in order for this to continue to work. This is from the Huffington Post. Um, seven products with pictures that women pay more for than men. And some of the price differences is, are, are funny. Um, like, for example, there are uh, Dolkalax, which is a stool softener at CVS and the blue box with 25 tablets is not only uh, sugar free, but it costs 50 cents less. So 1149 versus 1199. You're like, okay, maybe that's for the sugar. Fine. Uh, well, laxatives. Okay. Well, what stool softener stool softener. That's so yeah. So that's one. Here's a laxative tablet that is twice as expensive. If it is in a pink box versus if it's in a green box. So I've got stool softener, Earplugs, blue earplugs, four ninety nine. Purple, pink earplugs, seven five seventy nine. So buck fifty. This is a men's personal care travel kit, like a little shave kit with like a toothbrush and shaving and stuff, like your little handheld thing, maybe for like a high schooler or something. Seven fifty nine for the blue one, nine ninety nine for the pink one. Uh, same list Jeez. of stuff. Here is a black calculator that is six ninety nine, and a pink cal- calculator that is seven ninety nine. There are ankle supports. One is for women's simple fit, slim fit ankle support. And for the men's, it just says ankle support. It doesn't say slim fit. Uh, and perhaps there's a size difference between men and women. I don't know. The price difference on this one is $17.99 for the men, $26.99 for the women. Bike helmets, $26 for women, $20 for men. T-shirts. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. This is not... A new phenomenon, Chris, and it is happening, and we're finding it like it's it's kind of everywhere, and there's no real apparatus to make it stop, other than everyone has to agree not to buy this shit. Yeah, it's it's kind of unbelievable. I mean, you, you said this is not a new phenomenon. Okay, what say whatever you want about the marginal cost of these products, but I mean, it sounds like you're just slapping different colors and patterns onto the same exact products, and even like changing the name of the product. Like what what was it was uh, women's ankle support versus just ankle support. Slim fit. It was oh, slim, slim fit. Ankle Sorry. Sport. Yeah. <laughs> slim fit ankle yeah. support versus ankle support, which like, I doubt that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you have slim ankles. I, I, I don't know. Whatever the case is, it, it seems just absolutely ridiculous. And, and you said this, this is not a new thing. Absolutely. It's not a new thing. So according to an article by us news in world report, this is uh, by Kimberly Lankford and with uh, Barry Seagal editing. A 1994 California study found that women paid an average of $1,351 more every year because of gender-based pricing. And mm. they said, you know, adjusted for inflation, this article was written in April of this year, so we're, we're recording here in 2023. That's the equivalent of $2,300. I mean, that's that's like a significant chunk of somebody's like monthly take-home. That's like some people's rent Every single year, they're paying an extra amount yeah. just because of the the marketing for for this stuff. And, and actually, you know, I, I followed up on this. I was like, wow, yeah, that's really interesting. 1994, what, what what happened there? What prompted California to to have this study underway? And, you know, I, I also want to kind of mention, this is a California study. It may or may not be applicable to women everywhere. I don't really know. Uh, but I do know yeah. that the results found that the women in the study paid more than $2,000 of today's money more than men for similar products. In 1995, yeah. California introduced an actual law to try to repeal the pink tax, so to speak. And, you know, repeal is obviously in quotation marks. The pink tax is not like a legal tax. It's just things cost more money. So right. in doing this study, they introduced a bill called the Gender Tax Repeal Act of 1995. And according to the legislature from California... It says that it provides no that no business establishment may discriminate with respect to the price charged for services of a similar or like kind because of the person's gender. Insurance rating practices and health service plans are specifically excluded from the prohibitions against discrimination in this bill because healthcare is different from other consumer products. It, there, there are different requirements there. But I just thought it was super interesting. 
that uh, it's it's you know it's it's enshrined in California's civil code. It's section fifty one point six. The tax law expands on price differences to focus on the actual product, but you cannot uh, market toward. You're you're prohibited from discriminating on the basis of gender when it comes to pricing. And actually, the gender neutral retail departments law, which is in separate. Portions of the California Civil Code in sections 55.7 and 55.8. That law requires that certain large retailers provide non gendered children's sections in California store locations. Mm. Interesting. How would we define yeah. that? Non gendered, and this is for children, so like toys. I, well, it could be toys. It could be for like children's clothing or sure, sure. I don't know school supply. I, I guess whatever whatever products and services are meant to go toward children. So that could that could be toys. That could be games. That could be whatever else. So I I do think that that gets at an interesting point. I remember taking this class in college where they talked about like what's the theory of of what gender is and how gender is done, and the the, the thinking I guess you know at at the time I don't know if things have changed, but it's basically like people are are constantly doing or demonstrating gender in specific ways like you style your hair and face a certain way like you know men tend to wear beards to demonstrate like yes this is a this is a human male like certain styles of clothing right, 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 certain right. behaviors whatever else i think it's a collection of stereotypes but i mean those stereotypes coalesce into a pattern of like conducting gender so yeah that does that does get into an interesting like existential question like how do you how do you determine whether these large retailers are providing non-gendered stuff Especially because when you consider like the marketing scheme that is the pink tax, it, it's basically like there's the default stuff and then there's women's stuff. Yeah. So men are men are the default gender here. Yep. And the whole point of laws like this is to try to equalize the the marketplace for people. And so you got to wonder like, all right, what is what does it mean to be non-gendered if there's already functionally a default gender? It's a it's a challenging question, I think. So, yes, and that's, it's, it's all about marketing. So I'm looking at this study um, or the, this kind of paper that was published in 2020, uh, an economic analysis of the, the pink tax. It was written by Hajar Habal um, and published right in the throes, throes there, that word is again, throes of the pandemic in, in April, right when uh, uh, our president thought that the, we could all go to church when we, in fact, probably couldn't. And, when it would be uh, like a miracle. That we hit a literal miracle. It'll be like a miracle, yeah. Um, so the impact of this, according to this this study, the conclusion is that among the reasons that this exists is gender socialization and specifically how marketing strategies are designed to exploit stereotypes. Now, we go back to this really great period of American history in the 80s and the 90s where there's a lot of slow, consistent, predictable growth and people can just put their money and their pensions into Wall Street and it makes money and things are going well. Um, at, during around, around this time, we know that the United States stopped becoming a country of trades and started becoming kind of a country of robots. For example, you work at Walmart, you don't really know how to build toys or fix them. You just know how to put them on shelves and you're kind of replaceable. That all happened in the 80s. There are a number of really great books about it. But um, around that time, marketing, like in the late 70s, early 80s, marketing started to exploit people who were not as highly educated and to kind of make you want a certain lifestyle. And that persisted all the way. We, we did our episode on, on um, Billy McFarlane, who Firefest 2, by the way, uh, buy your tickets now. Allegedly, it's already sold out. Oh, my God. I cannot wait you to do another Fraudster Files on that. I'm so psyched know, for it. I'm so excited. If it wasn't being abandoned on an island, like if it was like in Denver, I might go. I just kind of want to see what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> if it was in Denver... Why don't like, you just the take part a of the firefest that was scary. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm going. I do. The, the part of the firefest that was scary was not that it was a shit show. It was that it was a shit show in a foreign country on an island. Like that's the part where you're like, dude, no, I'm not going there with you. Yeah, well, no way. I wouldn't like that. There's not. There's not really like a safety. Like you can't just hop in an Uber and head to the nearest like CVS or whatever. Right. You're yeah. you're literally on an island out there. And you can't like book a quick room at the Holiday Express down the road either. Like you can't get yourself out of this. Like you're just screwed. No. Yeah. So no, you wait until your return flight, which by the way, everybody else is trying to get the hell out of there too. 
Right, and it's the Bahamas. Uh, it's not American Airlines or United, which say what you will about them. That's probably a better run organization if I had to guess. Um, yes, so Billy McFarland sells us a lifestyle. We're doing it for 30 years, and we know, according to this paper, which cites a lot of things like marketing, the empirical work found like a negative relationship between the education and exposure to marketing. Essentially, do you know you're being marketed to? And for, for a lot of time, because women were less educated for all of human history than men, that is changing quickly. But just market to women and the the literal thesis behind this the sinister part of this like well they're too stupid to realize that there's no difference here except for the color so just charge them more and then you do studies like okay where where is the top level of money that women will stop paying for the women's version of this and then they probably price the product at that thing like for example we the laxative that we showed on, on the huffington post is 50 cents more well that one has sugar in it it has sugar in it because it's a women's product and it's 50 cents more i don't really care that's fine to me that makes a ton of sense it's like I don't know, a 3% increase on price. That's whatever. You want the one with sugar or you, want, you don't. But if you're selling a calculator, you're like, I can charge two more dollars for this calculator before moms and dads stop buying it. Um, and that's, and by the way, that's not marketing to a girl, like a child that needs a calculator or a college student. That's marketing to who's buying the calculator, which is um, Ogilvy, the guy who invented advertising as an industry in London famously, or I was looking this up. He may not have said it. Advertisers have long thought that their clients and customers are idiots. <laughs> they don't say that out loud. But there's a, an old famous line that he said that said, the customer is not a moron. The customer is your wife. Like the women are the, the purse holders, the purchasing power. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I haven't pulled up here. I haven't read it. That, that feels like a line from Mad Men. That feels like some yeah. writer thought he was being clever about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll mix it in with some oldie, worldy, real history to make it people think that that's how marketers yeah. actually behave although i mean i i guess it makes sense i mean yeah the, the person who's actually pulling the trigger on a purchase is going to be the parents especially yep. for stuff that's like marketed to little girls but i mean if you're a little girl and you see a pink calculator and a gray calculator or whatever right i, I mean in a world where people are continually socialized to behave in a specific way if you're a little kid you don't really know any better, I guess. And you know, if, if, if you were raised like where we were at, then you see the pink calculator, you think, oh, this one must be for me. Yeah. And so sure. you get, I don't know, I, 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 without having had the experience of being a little girl, having an interest in a pink calculator, I couldn't, can't really speak to that firsthand. I'm going to rely on uh, the ladies in our lives to, to go ahead and explain that one to us. But from the point of view of the marketer, it is all about pricing things at, the amount of money that you think people are willing to pay for them. And, and, you know, I will say it seems like things are getting a little bit better just from a cost survey point of view. So I will note that in 2015, so this is about 20 years after the 1994 California study, yep. the New York City Department of Consumer Affairs found that on average women's products cost 7% more than similar ones for men. And I don't know what the percentage was in the California study, but it seems to me like that has actually decreased. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm looking here. So the biggest difference in, in that study was that personal care products for women, so like your razors, your shampoos, your cosmetics, whatever else, those products cost women 13% more. Hmm. And, you know, it, it, it always, it, this, this reminds me of like a joke that you see online that's like, like men have a difficult time finding fragrances and, and understanding like shampoo aromas. It's like women's, women's shampoo is like descriptive. It's like aloe and shea butter or coconut honey or whatever. And men, it's like Fiji. <laughs> like, what the fuck does that smell like? Yeah, that's, I mean, I, that's a good call. But for all but for all that marketing, women's products on average cost 13% more when they're personal care as opposed to like general goods. I will also note that there are, it's it's not just like the hygiene stuff and it's not just like average, you know, consumer good or children's toys or, or even clothes. There's also the obvious case of women's hygiene products. Yep. Uh, there's no equivalent to tampons or pads or cups or whatever else. And so there's this, there's been a growing push in recent years over the last a decade or so for states to exempt the sale of women's hygiene products from sales tax. 
And a number of states have actually imposed, well, they've they've exempted women's hygiene products from from sales tax. Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania all did that in twenty in the twenty sixteen election cycle. D.C. did it in twenty seventeen. Connecticut did it in twenty eighteen. There have been a number of other states, and so. Uh, and I, I will also note that, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm drawing here from the same article from Kimberly Langford and Barry Seagal. In 2020, the COVID aid relief package, yep. it changed the rules for flexible spending in health savings accounts. And it did so to make menstrual products eligible for tax-free withdrawals, just like other medical expenses. So it's it's like, well, you know, medical and, and health services and health products, like those things are exempt, have been exempt from sales tax. But for a long time, in most places, feminine hygiene products were not exempt, even though it's like a necessary health item. It's like a healthcare item. So states are starting to come around and, and apply feminine hygiene products to the same standard of taxation that medical products are. Uh, and that's the case at the federal level as well. So there's, that's a, that's an obvious source of, of higher costs that women have to incur over the course of their lifetimes that men just don't. Yeah. And it's the, the, so that, that's, um, that's where this issue gets kind of convoluted and a little nuanced because there are aspects to, you see some articles that it costs over a lifetime right now in 2023 about 300 grand more money to be a woman than a man, a huge portion of that spent on healthcare, a huge portion of that um, numerically comes from the value of housing, a huge portion of that comes from wages, and a huge portion of that comes from products that men don't buy um, anywhere near the same level or that don't have to buy. So like high feminine hygiene products, things that do with menstruation, but also like a lot of makeup and cosmetics. Men, there are plenty of men that do that, but the vast majority don't. They don't buy them. They're not interested. It's not marketed to them. It's just not a thing. Um, although I have worn makeup for acting and then I have a couple things I'm like, you know, when you have a job interview, there's why would we not do this? Why, why I would absolutely do it. A hundred percent makes my beard look a little thicker. It makes me, yeah, I 10 out of, it's just a filter for your face, but it, it is annoying and, and cumbersome. I don't like feeling it on my face. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an IRL filter. Well, it's you know, I, I also, I, I can't help but wonder, is there a sense of like, like being done up? I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I put product in my hair and mm -hmm. trim and comb the beard before I step out for the work day. If I'm going to go out in public, I wonder if there's a same sense of like, okay, you know, I've got my face on, I'm ready to go. I'm in game mode versus yep. like if I'm staying in my apartment working from home for the day, I'll just like throw my Crocs on and shuffle down to the laundry or to the garbage chute if I have to throw out a garbage bag or something. And I'm not even going to bother putting any of that stuff on. I wonder if there's like a similar. Yeah, I, I don't know. Ladies, yeah. I mean, do you do you feel more self-confident once for you've applied sure. makeup for the close. day? I mean, 100 percent. The difference and this is like a, a kind of uh, maybe this is kind of the crux of what we're getting at. For me, I do. Um, the first time I ever wore makeup, it was applied for me on my first paid acting job. And this was like a professional makeup artist that came down from New York to Philly. We were doing a scene and they did spray on makeup and did my face. And like I had to look a certain way. So it wasn't just to make me look good. It was to make me look kind of sad and scared. Um, but it's all done incredibly well. And you just sit there and people are, leave are you, you alone. Are you wearing that now today? <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared. I ain't scared. Yeah, so it was great. And then other times I've done acting, like I did a, um, I mean, none of my shit has ever gone nationwide. I could have, but then everybody looks at it and then they're like, eh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, we'll pass. Maybe next time. Yeah, so this one was for Untucked. And that was good. They're just like, we want you to look good. The reason, um, yeah, so they, they do in the the trailer and everybody looks good and it's fun. The vibes are high. It's awesome. It's 10 out of 10. But the, I think the big difference is why I have such a positive. And like the stuff that I bought for myself to feel my beard in and, and make my face less shiny and stuff, all of that kind of thing. I like it and I, I don't, I haven't done it in years, but it's totally fine. However... The only reason I would do it is because I would, once I learned I looked better with makeup on, obviously, then I learned how to do it to myself for auditions and things. Like just the smallest little thing can make a big difference. But I also, I think that I got to start in makeup after my prefrontal cortex had developed and I understand what's going on and I know what I'm using it for. For women, when they were girls, probably started messing around with makeup. And then at that point, they're kind of stuck in like a game theory situation, or at least psychologically where if you don't wear makeup, you don't feel confident. So instead of it being a boost, it's like a drug where like, well, if I don't have my thing, then I can't function. 
and that has to do with self-confidence. Like if you start wearing makeup as a girl at 14 and you wear it all the way through when you're 23, and I'm sure many girls have had this experience, you forget to put your makeup on one day at high school or even as a professional adult, and you're like, oh, well, you look really tired and sick. Like, well, I just didn't Yeah, you look, do you my look tired today. Is everything okay? Yeah, it's just the makeup thing. So like for me, like I can kind of sneak it in here or there, and I don't do a lot of it. But if you have been wearing it for years and years and years and years and you, you go out, and I, I don't know what it feels like to go out without makeup after you've been wearing it for so long, maybe a feeling of nakedness or freedom, I don't know. But if it's self-conscious, that's because it was marketed to you at such a young age would be my guess. Yeah, I mean, you, you, th- th- there's got to be a socialization element here. Sure. To, to, I mean, it's got to be the driving factor behind behind why that's the case. Nick, I, I, I'm, I'm also really interested. I, I didn't consider the influence of larger demographic trends mm-hmm. on the pink tax as well. What so you, you, it's it's a lot more intuitive when you see like, oh, Gillette's regular razors cost 20% less than the pink razors. That's right. really a clear, easy example. He's like, that's ridiculous. I mean, they're putting pink on the same thing. But it turns out that the pink tax also applies to non-consumer goods, especially like financial products. Did you realize that? Mm, yes, I sort of. I have read about housing. We can get into the housing thing in a minute. But yeah, I, I know that it, and that's what I was saying, it gets nuanced. It's not just like a company that's selling retail shit charging more because the color is pink. It gets way more nuanced than that. Well, consider, consider the following. On average, in married couple, in married opposite sex couples, men tend to be older than women. And so what that means mm-hmm. is, men tend to have younger spouses later in life that are generally better able to care for them. Uh, women also live longer, so ostensibly they're able to to care for a longer period of time. Yeah, these and are just generalizations, is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are like... Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. And so when you consider things like long-term care insurance, mm-hmm. this is uh, from uh, Brian Gordon, who is the president <laughs> of Gordon Associates Long-Term Care Planning in, in, uh, in a town in Illinois, Bannockburn, Illinois. Hmm. He said... In our experience, we've seen differences of 20% all the way up to 50% more for women than men. Women tend to use their policies more than men, mainly because they live longer and they're more likely to need and qualify for benefits. So women's long-term health care insurance lasts a longer time because they don't have the younger spouse taking care care of them as often. And they qualify for more insurance benefits. And so the costs tend to be a lot higher. There's also the consideration of disability insurance. Women become disabled at a higher rate than men. And so what that means is insurance companies can charge more money for women's disability insurance. Mm-hmm. But it's not just insurance. Uh, annuities are another example of financial product that costs more for women than men. And that's because annuities pay out for as long as they live. Women tend to live longer. They're right. more expensive because companies set their rates based on life expectancies. Sure. and if you're falling to the category of people who live longer, then you're gonna your annuity is gonna cost more money. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, a different rate. Uh, financial planning is also a, a serious consideration. I mean, we haven't even mentioned uh, the gender pay gap, and so this is from 2023. I remember feel like I, I feel like I remember when we were growing up, like in high school, when I first learned about this, it was like you know women make 75 cents on the dollar. For every mm-hmm. dollar a man makes, and it, it's, it, it varies across industries, it varies across localities. It's right. not it's not a uniform thing, but on average, so this is according to uh, this is according to that same article that I was citing earlier. Yeah. And that, that data, that number is uniformly from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Yes, yes. So, be, yeah. so Bureau of Labor Statistics: women are paid eighty four eighty four cents for every dollar a man earns for equal work. Women are at a financial disadvantage when it comes to long term financial planning because on sure. average. They make less money. And Social Security benefits are lower as well because they are based on the amount of pay that you end up taking home. So that means lower income correlates to a more difficult time finding and saving money. And when you save more money, you get more returns on that because interest is based on the percentage of what's available at the time. So over a period of like decades, that really stacks up quite a bit. And in fact, this survey by Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies found that when baby boomer women say are, are at retirement, they on at, or they have a median savings of one hundred one thousand dollars in their retirement accounts. Okay, men have two hundred forty eight thousand dollars. Two hundred forty eight, yeah, two two hundred forty eight thousand dollars. So almost a quarter of a million dollars that 
baby boomer men have saved as a median. Yep. <laughs> so women have saved less than half the amount that men have. So, and, and, and you know, it seems like just, just seeing those numbers next to each other is just shocking to me. Sure. But when you think about the higher on average costs that women have to deal with for the same products and services, the larger number of costs that are associated, especially with stuff like healthcare and feminine hygiene products. When you consider the demographic trends that women are going up against when it comes to long-term care planning, insurance, financial products, when you look at the, when you look at the difference in pay that women have to deal with as compared to their male colleagues for doing the same work, all of those things stack up for a long period of time. And it results in a significant disadvantage for long-term savings and, and yeah. retirement money. And it's just, it's just crazy. So when, when you look at stuff like, well, okay, states implementing the, the tax, ex, tax exemption for feminine hygiene products, that's great. I mean, that, those, are, those are small steps in the right direction toward what is a gross imbalance in, in, in basically financial health and well-being for women compared to men. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that has to do, I mean, there are obvious, like, it would make sense for an insurance company to try to want to screw over whoever they can screw over. That's just game theory. Like it's an adversarial. We have somehow found ourselves in an adversarial economic system where like you have to negotiate down and what can you, can you do now from a retail standpoint, like we mentioned razors and things just buy the men's version and everybody doing that at the same time would theoretically do that. And they have the numbers like literally a month of everybody doing that. And they would scrap those products. They would not only drop the price, they'd be like, okay, well, these are stupid to even make now. Um, and they have the data. There are people who go to school for number stuff and they do nerdy number shit and they will look at the spreadsheet and they'll be like, yep, this product is dead. And that'll be it. That'll be, I mean, it could be very simple. Everybody just has to get on the same page at the same time. For things like this, it's way more convoluted. And you start to get into the conversation that kind of is very similar, a lot of tropes and undercover investigations, specifically the two industries that really screw over women a lot are in the service industry are mechanics and dry cleaners. Um, they just make up prices whenever they see a woman across the counter because they know that like, what are you going to do? Like, you're not going to get mad. You can't prove it. You have no idea how much it actually costs. And so whatever that happens all the time. There are plenty of undercover investigations from local news teams that are like, here's a lady mechanic. Let's go in there. And they just make up some shit and charge her more money. And she's like, nope, that's not how this works. That happens all the time. But for not five, five, for financial stuff, there's not really... It doesn't seem like anything that could be done about this other than regulation. Now, this is not the only situation financially where this is happening. Um, there is some a study in two, from nineteen, wait, okay, a study that was released in twenty seventeen that looked at houses, the housing sales in the U.S. between ninety one and twenty seventeen. They found that women, on average, pay two percent more for the same house than men do, and they also sell for. 2% less. So that, I mean, you look at a house and, and um, generational wealth and leaving things on and, and that kind of stuff. That's 2% of, you know, the average house price, which during the study was $375,000 adjusted for inflation. That's an ass ton of money. 1% of 300,000 is what, three grand? So you're looking at six to 12 yep. grand, depending on how expensive your house was at the time that you're just missing out on, on both the sale and the resale of the house. Now, of course, you know, economic dips and whatever. I haven't read this study, but a lot of that has to do with this idea of gendered negotiation and how, and this is where you get into a vicious cycle talking about the gender pay gap about do women not negotiate properly? Is there some sort of game theory thing happening where, where the, the people who have the money are like, well, we know that you're a woman and you won't negotiate. And even if you do, we'll just give the job to someone else. Um, is it, it that's just pure sexism. And is that happening in the housing market or are women simply not negotiating correctly or as aggressively as they could? I don't know, but that's a 10, 15,000. So if you buy three houses over 30 years, you're out. Like that's the difference between 120 grand in your savings account and 250 grand in your savings account. It's crazy. Yeah. It makes a significant difference too. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I'm also curious to know what's the experience that women have when negotiating for stuff like pay raises or mm. housing contracts? How, how likely are women to be taken less seriously than men in the same negotiations? And so it's not, it, 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 it could be a matter of, I, I think, I don't know if this is true, but it, I, I feel like I've read somewhere once that women are less likely to ask for a raise, for example, or, or to negotiate hard. But, I wonder if there's also the reality of like, well, you know, if I do that, then I'm going to be perceived as bossy and I'm going to be written off or I'm going to be seen as too needy and, or too finicky. 
and you know whatever it is, rather than being taken seriously as a negotiating partner, your personality just ends up getting picked apart, and you don't get what you were after in the first place. So it, it's it, it seems like there's a high probability of a lose lose scenario when it comes to major negotiations, and when you're dealing with stuff that's expensive as housing, when when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars in purchases and sales that stuff that adds up over a lifetime, it makes a huge difference. And it's, it's not just about, you know, well, you know, we have to be nicer to women or what, like, no, 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 that, that there are, there are fundamental inequalities that are present and it's an uphill climb. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with like, is there, is there really like a game theory free market solution to all of this? Like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, beyond regulation, how do you try to address some of these inequalities? I mean, you can't, you can't implement, the uh, men's uh, men's hygiene product requirement, where men have to purchase the same dollar value every month or every year in in hygiene product, like you, you can't you can't do stuff like that. So, I mean, what what kind of what kind of approaches can you take beyond just don't buy the pink thing? Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of it. The when we get into deeper stuff like these financial tools and negotiating house prices and negotiating car prices understanding what mechanics and handy men should charge and uh, dry cleaners could charge. The most important thing when you negotiate at all, like I didn't go to business school, but I just know this from understanding, I don't know, I guess like, the way the world works and I'm not an expert, but I understand that the most important negotiation tactic is the nuclear option, which is just walking away. Right. So for, as a man, I can see the, the men's demographic being like that deodorant. So say for example, like the, the theoretical threat here from a retail organization would be not to charge women less but be like, okay, well, fine. If you're just going to buy the men's one, we'll just charge the men more. Well, men could collectively get together and be like, we don't fucking need deodorant. We don't have deodorant for six million years as a species. It'll be fine. And then, like, I see six not million willing, years as a species. Whatever. Just argue. Everybody <laughs> argue about it. It's it's three hundred thousand. I think it's one million. I most recently, there's something found in Los Angeles. I don't know. If they, yeah, they okay. found a million year old thing. They found do, a tool. Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, there was a there was a video that was going around a little while ago of this dude who thought he uh, reinvented time because he said, uh, <laughs> what? I, I, I divide my days up into three into three portions uh, yeah, from, yeah, from yeah, 6 a.m. Yeah. to noon. That's one day from noon to 6 p.m. That's another day and from six to midnight or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he, he's, he's got the 24 hour day broken down in eight hour cycles. He's like, well, for every one day that you get, I get three days. Yep. You stacked it up over a week. I'm going to kick your ass. It, he's, but the, the the funniest part of that clip is not that this guy figured out that morning, afternoon, and evening are different. It's that he's like, oh well, you know, we got some people. Everyone thinks you got to go by these conventions just because some guy, you know, who I got to I got to do a 24 hour sleep cycle because some guy in a cave 300 years ago did it. <laughs> My brother in Christ, 300 years ago, this country was in its foundling stages. <laughs> Yeah, and they, yeah, they, yes. And it's funny to me, those guys on podcasts and YouTube videos, like, I want everyone to understand, as someone who studied media, that if they're putting that much effort and it's that well-produced, then they don't make money another way. That's their thing that makes money. It is it is the content. The people that are, like, they're trying to pretend they are doing are not on podcasts. They're doing stuff. Like, that, that's the difference. Like, this is what I do. Like, no, you don't. Well, when do you record the podcast? Because here you are. I don't know. You're here, though. Like, you... you this, where is this in your alpha, alpha male schedule? Because in your alpha male schedule, you have breakfast and then wife time and then kid time and then work time. But like, where is record a podcast? Because it's on TikTok. I'm watching it with my eyes. Hmm. Don't think about that. Anyway, so men, men I can tell. Are you I sure it's tell, not AI generated? It, yes, there's some good AI out there as uh, referenced in my other podcast. So if men were just to be like, you know what, fuck you. I'm going to fix my own car. I have YouTube or my dad taught me. Then the mechanics are like, oh shit. Well, how much can we cost? How much can we charge to make it convenient? For women, they're like, I know that you don't know how to fix your car and you're too scared to and you're too scared to fight with me. So I'm going to charge you 300 instead of $100. The only way out of this is education and then also willing to pull the nuclear option of like, you know what? Nope, I'm not going to buy it. I don't need it. So for like deodorant, that can get, that could be like a public health thing. But there are other products where like, I don't, mm. and it's, it, we're seeing it happen in the razor market. Razors got really expensive. And then all these dollar shave clubs and Harry's and stuff started to make a little bit more old school, cheaper shit. And now Gillette and these big companies are driving the prices down because guys are like, yeah, I, it's great. It's great razor. There's Gillette five blades. It's awesome. It's not 
that awesome. It's not hundreds and hundreds of dollars a year more awesome than this one. I'll just go with the cheap one. So until women collectively get together and and do this and are supported by men also continuing to do this, it's not going to happen. For financial products and service industry stuff, like you just have to be educated and have to understand like I if I go to the mechanic and they're charging too much money, like you you got to understand what's going on. Men get the benefit of the doubt from for like men scare the men behind the counter. And that's where the sexism comes in here. Um, I don't know what my mechanic should charge me, but I do know, but he knows that like I might. And as a result of that, they're not, they're scared of me. They're not scared of women. And until women make them scared, I don't know that there is a solution. I think this has got to be an individual basis thing. And there are podcasts and YouTube videos and you just got to take control of it because if, if say if you're a listener in our demographics, we would estimate you to between 26 and 40. If you're listening to this show based on the tiny amount of data that we actually have about you, then there's still plenty of time. Like you're going to spend 300,000 more to be a woman over your lifetime. Like we'll listen to the mechanics podcast or watch the dad. How do I YouTube channel? So that when you go to home Depot, you can be like, I don't need help. I need this. And like, no, I, my contractor doesn't get taught take $300 to fix a leak. It costs a hundred bucks. And I'm only asking you because I got shit to do. That's the only way that this is going to get better. I think from what I can tell. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you, but, it, but then like, you, you know, you, you, you consider examples of like where products are just priced differently. Like you, you can't. Yeah. So, okay. So let me, let me hit you with an example of where okay. there's like a structural element at play where even if even if we go with the nuclear option, I mean, the 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 pricing scheme is is different behind a paywall. So this is a story from February of this year, twenty twenty three. This is by uh, Sina Gabra Ab at CBS Baltimore, and there's this this uh, report from the Progressive Policy Institute. So say what you will about that. <laughs> it shows the average tariff rate on women's underwear is fifteen point five percent compared to 11.5% for men's underwear. So what that means is, so the tariff rate, that's the tax. Yep, the, the literal the, tax. The, the ta- the, yeah, the amount of extra money that goes into because the the imported product is marketed toward women instead of men. And there, there's, this, there's this great quote by uh, J.P. Carell, who's an associate professor at Loyola University. There's no good reason I can think of why the same goods made of the same materials at the same cost should be tariffed at different rates because they're targeted to different people. I mean, this is this is just yeah. silly. Uh, in Canada and Australia, though, uh, I will say that that's not the case. Mm. And actually, in Japan and Europe, in, in you know, I, I assume that means the European Union, uh, women are actually taxed at a lower rate than men. So maybe that's the maybe that's the regulatory solution. Is, is you, do you do you market or do you do you tax equally on the basis of equality, or do you try to create what I think the kids these days are calling equity? And try to structurally offset the already structurally imbalanced. So you 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 compensate instead of just taxing equally. So I I, I don't know, I, I don't know what the what the real solution yes. is here. So any systemic shit like that that needs to be addressed. I mean that's not the only thing. In 2018, a study showed that tariffs on, on women's apparel. You said 15 percent. That adds up to 2.7 billion dollars more. On tariffs yeah, over a, a specific amount. amount of time. It's huge. crazy. Yes. It's I, I will say, uh, according to this article, the, the Pink Tax Repeal Act was introduced federally. So this mm-hmm. is like a version of what California did in the 90s, in 1995. It was introduced in the House two years ago, and it's still pending in Congress. And I'll let you read the tea leaves on whether that's ever going to be a thing at the <laughs> federal level. Is but the federal the, government going to be a thing? We're, we're, the next time we have a show, we might not have a federal government. Yeah, there's a strong possibility of that government shutdown based on not being able to pass a budget. It's uh, becoming routine around here. I will say uh, the last time that a shutdown happened in D.C., it was for a long time. A lot of people were out of work for a while. The people who get screwed the most on that are like service contractors, like the people who take out the trash and clean mm-hmm. the bathrooms and the, the child the, care. The poor people, yeah, service. of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so the people who are the most disadvantaged already and who are making less than, than federal salaried employees at a desk job, yeah, those people get screwed the most. But the last time that the government got shut down. A lot of bars were offering like free drinks or mm. complimentary apps or whatever to federal employees. So if you go in and show your government ID, I don't know if that's going to be the case this time. I don't know what the situation is going to be. We still got about four days before we can avoid a shutdown. Yeah. My hopes aren't high, but in any case, the pink tax repeal act is not, uh, if I was a betting man, I would not put money down on that. 
No, you don't win. It's it, and it's it's really strange because you think that, um, and it, I can forgive me for not understanding different gender biases and and things, but I just occasionally would like women to unite on something, like hey, you know, I can't, I don't know that there are a lot of federal avenues for me as a voter and as a man to help with the fact that you pay more. I don't know more about mechanics than you do, and I have the same Google machine that you do. I don't have to worry about this, and I don't know how to make it so you don't have to worry about it either. But why don't why don't women get together and be like, I'm not paying for the fucking pink calculator. I'm not doing it. It would take one, one month and people would pull that kind of stuff from the shelves. They understand. It's happening with deodorant. Secret deodorant and Old Spice cost the same because people notice. Women's like, hey, this actually, this men's stuff protects really well and it smells fine. It smells completely adequate, which is how men feel. They're like, I don't know, the one with the wolf or the one with the surfboard. I don't really care. That one. I don't care. It's fine. It's five bucks. And so now Secret and other major brands are like, okay, they're paying six bucks for the men's one. This one's six bucks. Done. We're done having this conversation. It would take like a month or two. It really would. Um, but I don't know how to make that happen. I, I will say that it would be nice for Congress to act on shit like actual literal taxes. That would be an interesting idea. But the government, so the government has their hand in the pot here too, for sure. I, I mean, yeah, if you can tax some people more, like why wouldn't you? If, you're, if your goal is to secretly set up the world's headquarters with the new world order in Cheyenne mountain in Denver and mm-hmm. eventually take over the planet. I don't know why you wouldn't no, about more I would, taxes. I would, shout out to the Denver international airport. Nick, um, I want to, I also want to yeah. give a shout out here as we, as we close out, there's a, we, we don't go on Reddit often and mm. want to give a huge shout out to our subreddit at it's r slash game theory pod. We are not active on that subreddit not and that's, you know, that's on us. One day. That's on us. Yeah. But I, I also want to point out there's another uh, subreddit that I knew about years ago and I have not spent any time on recently, but it's called r slash pointlessly gendered. It's a community for humor, humorously pointlessly gendered things. And I'm, I'm just looking at the top posts of all time here. Uh, there are some ju- su- suggestions that we could draw from as well as some problems that are highlighted. So for example, if I scroll down a little bit, one of the pointlessly gendered things that somebody captured in the wild is a bathroom. There's a light blue door that says gents and a light pink door that says ladies. The gents, or these doors have captions on them. The gents door says, do epic shit. The ladies door says, smile, you're losing weight. So not quite the same sentiment there. But as I said, there are some suggestions. So we could do the bathroom thing. Somebody, somebody took a picture of a tweet from at Frog Lover Boy, mm-hmm. username Frong. Frong. We should split bathrooms by pee versus poop instead of men versus women. There you go. There's a thought. Another suggestion. No bad ideas. From at Ellery Smith, going to start saying male journalist and male comedian and male engineer so people can start to hear how fucking stupid it sounds. <laughs> that's a that's a good one. Tina Fey said it best when she accepted the Mark Twain award for humor we need to get to the point in society where we start because she was like the ninth woman to win it and they're like she's the ninth woman she, for her first words were like we need to get to the point as a society where we stop counting what number women are at things like that's first true. first female president after that just president you get one who's the first that's it end of end of conversation I have one more conspiracy theory as we get out of here Chris it's not a conspiracy theory. It seems to be a fact. It's just been unconfirmed by the industry. Women's clothing doesn't have the same pockets as men. And it is for a very simple reason. Because if they had pockets, they might not need to buy so many purses and bags. And that's that like absolutely the case. Accessories are critical. I understand they tied the whole fit together. But ladies... We need to rise up and demand more pockets. Yeah, I know you can I'm have a bag and pockets. Be the last. You deserve pockets yeah. regardless of having a bag. I, 100%. Think, think how much more stuff you could put in the pockets if you had PKW, baby. PKW. Folky's wallet. We're, we're on the side with the pockets issue, ladies. Mm-hmm. We're, we're allies. Every, how could you have all of these clothes without pockets? What are we doing? Get some pockets. 